Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Dr. Fred Schmidt. He's an Episcopal priest, a theologian, and a former professor at my alma mater, Messiah College, where I first met him. And he's someone I'm proud to call a friend. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome back to Synaxis. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. Um, Life happens, but we're back. And I'm going to be doing it with some regularity with my friend and former professor, Fred Schmidt, who people that follow Give and Take know who he is. And um, and I will just say with, um, you know, unsolicited kind of commentary, was the professor that scared me in college and now has become a friend. So, Fred, welcome. Thanks, Scott. It's good to be here. So let's talk a little bit about Second Samuel. We got this really yeah. interesting reading. I mean, where he gathers the the, the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand. And how do you even get thirty thousand people together? I mean, like, I, <laughs> especially in the ancient world, right? And in, 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 right. in these, the ark and 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 David is leaping and dancing. I mean, this is um, an, a fascinating text, which. which I mean, would would this be the one you would highlight to, you know, to preach on on this given Lord's Day or no? Well, it'd be an interesting one to tackle, and of course, there was a there was a time when Old Testament text didn't even get read in the lectionary on a regular basis. So uh, I'm a, fa- a fan of preaching from Old Testament texts when you can, and when you think you've got something relevant, you can say. It's a complicated text. Uh, for one thing, uh, it uh, is actually edited in a way that leaves out a really awkward set of verses, and that's verses 6 through 12a that uh, talk about the death of Uzzah, who actually touches the ark and dies as a result. And it causes David to actually hesitate to bring the ark into the city until he gets the go-ahead from God. And that's a really strange text for us culturally, and we tend to really wonder what's going on there. If I were, if I were going to pull those verses out that have been left out of the text, I think that the interesting thing to talk about would be the whole subject of holiness because the text seems to point in that direction, and it tends to challenge the idea that, that we ought to think of God as someone we just cuddle up to. Uh, the whole my buddy Jesus kind of theme comes in for real question here, and the kind of casual ways we think about God uh, become a subject if you pull those verses in. And as somebody who has to work with the lectionary on a frequent basis, I'm not adverse to kind of pulling the editors of the lectionary into question in the way that they've edited some of the texts and deal with that. 
even if you don't, you still got some really interesting things to deal with. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who has a really fine commentary on this text, uh, points out that there's a real tension in this text because the part of it that we are given plays between the uh, reintroduction of religious vitality in the text with David bringing the ark back in and celebrating so publicly. And Brueggemann makes the point that the text has a tension in it in that it looks back to that vitality on the one hand, uh, and yet it also raises the question, you know, was David somehow manipulating perceptions going forward? And of course, David's a really complicated character in that way. Uh, I think we tend to think of David very much in kind of sanitized terms when we think of him as king and monarch. He, but he, I, he, he'd be a little bit of a Bill Clinton kind of guy, right? Like, I love the Ark. I think it's great. I think I love the I'm bringing it in. I mean, I hear your concerns. But here's the thing. I, I'm dancing around the Ark. Yeah, there was a there was a cartoon uh, that I don't remember the exact kind of way it was framed, but after the controversies over President Clinton's uh, impeachment, there was one cartoon that showed him coming out of the White House and saying, "I am invulnerable," um, <laughs> and and uh, there is that kind of element. Although you're mentioning that is kind of complicates the observation I would make, which. I think if you were going to actually compare situations with, of David's kingship with contemporary points of reference, I wouldn't think so much, first of all, of presidents as I would think of mafia, bo mafia bosses, uh, because this period in Israel's Transformation. So you're saying he's Tony Soprano. He's like, we've got to do what we've got to do. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit more like that in some ways. So there are two um, films I would quote. Either one would be applicable. Um, so one would be Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Where they right, where they open the open the uh, the ark, and and the the Nazis get their faces burned off. It's fin. I mean, it's fantastic right. filmmaking, right? right? I mean, this is this is kind of and also it's the only film thing we need an anti-semitism like this is if you're an anti-semite you get your face burned off um it's just fantastic <laughs> but the other the other thing you know i think about is is footloose and where oh, okay. like kevin bacon right. is is reading they're trying to have a dance in this fundamentalist town and kevin mm -hmm. bacon it, it, he looks awkward in his jacket and tie and he says and what did David do? What did David do? And he can't find the Bible verse. He's like, wait, what did David do? And he said, David danced right before the Lord. Yeah. And then the fundamentalist minister kind of gets teary-eyed because Kevin Bacon is dating his daughter. And he says, mm -hmm. they can have the dance. Um, right. And so there's this beautiful existential dialectical dilemma. Yeah. 
which will take us to Ephesians. Here we go. Oh, oh let me make one other observation before Absolutely. you leave this. Uh, that whole point about Footloose and that scene with Kevin Bacon also raises another, another subject that preachers could tackle, and that's the tension between the rather, for lack of better terminology, the rather more charismatic approach to worship and spiritual experience versus the rather more ordered and liturgical tradition. And it makes a it makes a it creates a great space to talk about those tensions, to be honest about uh, our discomforts with one or the other, depending on what we've experienced in the past. And that's another issue that this text could could raise is, you know, when you're when you're engaging the issues of spirituality, are those poles those poles kind of critiques of one another? Do they create a space where you need to be open to a bit of both movements in the spiritual life? So And Fred, if the listeners gave um, enough money, would you video yourself liturgical dancing or no? Uh, the whole business of being offered money for it would be a no go. <laughs> Uh, that, there that, is a term for this, right? Seminary, right? I think we. Uh, yeah, the exactly. Exactly. The Plus the fact that I was at the bottom of my swing dance class. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go on to um, Ephesians. I mean, this is no. um, Paul opening up this beautiful letter where he talks mm-hmm. about um, how blessed the children of Ephesus are. Right. And before he gets into contextual issues, he just starts saying, look, let's go back to basics. Before no. time, you all were chosen. I mean, you are, mm-hmm. before the foundation of the world, you were in Christ. Everything that is in Christ is, is connected to you. And it's this, it, this beautiful um, text, and the conclusion is that you're, you're, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's this... It's this yeah. um, Right. It, it's kind of like the kind of thing I imagine Abraham Lincoln would do at a train stop or something. I mean, it's a, uh, it's just this yeah. beautiful spiritual declaration to this community that's probably not seeing itself as as any of this being true about them. So. Well, they're learning, and they're learning what it means. And what you have in this passage is you have that favorite phrase, en Christo, which is translated in Christ and in him, uh, that is Paul's favorite way of describing Christians. Uh, He doesn't, you know, he focuses on the ways in which their lives are lodged in the resurrected life of Christ. And so this is a great opportunity to talk about baptism. It's a great opportunity to talk about the church. Um, It's a great opportunity to explore what that kind of locative sense of our lives located in Christ what that's what that's all about and what that can actually do for us in terms of exploring our life in the church and the thing i'd recommend to preachers about a passage like this and maybe i'm saying this because i just got through doing this with some of the texts uh, earlier uh, this summer, is I actually used this kind of text to actually use the lectionary to create a sermon series. Uh, 
So I did a sermon series in June that was called On Being the Church and pulled out themes in the epistolary lections for the month of June that worked well with describing various dimensions of the church. And if during the summer you're feeling a little uh, down energy-wise, you're feeling a little lost, you feel like you're bouncing from one lection to another, and it's really hard to get the kind of traction that allows you to work through the material, one way of kind of getting your own interest going is to develop a series of thoughts across a series of lections rather than to be, you know, shut up to one text each Sunday. Fred, are you trying to make the lectionary great again? <laughs> well, to a certain extent with the revised common lectionary, I <laughs> I feel like that's not altogether a misplaced observation or yeah, misplaced yeah. effort hey, really. So what you would know? our hashtag be? Like Make be ML. I don't know. Make MLG Lake Lectionary Malaga. Malaga. We'd be Malaga. <laughs> that sounds like an idea that's going to die by virtue of association. Well, we'll get T-shirts. <laughs> hashtag Malaga. So yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting too because I think there are lots of theological arguments in the history of the church, like free will. Mm-hmm. versus predestination or things like right. this. And and, yeah. and 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 they fight over verses like this, right? And some exactly. of it is exactly. is um I, I think what is the truth here is that God loves you. And it it sounds like really like trite. It sounds like trite evangelicalism. But God loves you and has a plan for your life. Like right. <laughs> and, yeah. and this is a beautiful thing and so we ought not to probably totally throw away everything from a certain kind of evangelicalism that actually is no, good at personalizing right. and Paul is saying God loves you and has a plan for your life and it's been planned and and you know God is still at work in your life yeah and this text does sort of introduce the whole question of providence and the question of you know how do you explain that to people and what's involved and preachers, depending on how deeply steep they are uh, in the Arminian tradition or in the Calvinist tradition, are probably going to go different directions with that. Um, my inclination would be to emphasize what this says about God's saving design that is worked out in Christ, and that that's the focus of providential care. I don't think that needs to eliminate the personal. Um, People in the Fred, this warms my heart. You sound like a super lapsarian. This is warming my Calvinist heart. I mean, this is I'm moved. I mean, this is ecumenical. Just trying to save a space for you, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is beautiful. Do you want to move to the gospel, which I think is the hardest reading? I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Talk about talk about a tough one. I mean, this one is the longest passage dealing with anybody but Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And there are a lot of commentators who, you know, make do you the point that it's sort of being, a great do you, freestanding do you, piece. Do you fantasize about being on Jeopardy? And and, 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 and the question <laughs> is, what is the longest? Like, the, it's the longest passage in the Gospel of Mark that doesn't deal with Jesus. 
And yeah. do you, did do you imagine yourself yeah. buzzing like I did. I'll what take, is this pericope? Yeah. I'll take heads on a platter for five hundred. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, this is a really interesting one. And I you know that in terms of trying to make it accessible to people, I think that maybe one of the m- most uh, valuable themes in this whole passage, if you're, if you're trying to not just simply deal with the history of the text and the question of John the Baptist's role and the role of Jesus, is to maybe think about the way in which John navigates the complexities of the politics and society of his day as over against what he understands his vocation to be. And in losing his head, he keeps his head. He stays centered. He's spiritually focused on what he understands his vocation to be. And that pulls him into court intrigue. And of course, it it ends badly in one sense. But that gives us an opportunity to talk about our own lives and about places where we think our faith takes us that, uh, that on one reading of things ends badly as well. And of course, that foreshadows Jesus's own life in that regard. And so this is a really complicated passage that's mired deeply in the political realities of the day. And uh, it has echoes of the court tales in Daniel and the first half of Daniel as well. And it gives us a chance to explore the whole question of how can you remain faithful in an environment where that faith is going to be challenged and tested. Fred, let me ask you this. If you are in a cocktail party in heaven, assuming you get there, which I think you will. I don't know that I'll get there. I'll probably be in... One of Dante's yeah. levels of, you know, like I'll be with Aristotle and Virgil and, and, and Limbo. Not a chance. <laughs> but like you're sitting there in the cocktail party in heaven and you see Jesus and John the Baptist and you've got a glass of like a, like a nice Cabernet Sauvignon or something. And you're at a place where you don't know what you're, where you're going to go in the conversation, right? Right. Do you go to John or Jesus? Where, where, because they're both interesting figures. Just so right, yeah. <laughs> That's a tough one to answer. I mean, you know, um, I actually what I probably would try to do, what I would probably try to do, just because I feel responsibility for social settings these days, is I'd probably try to draw the two of them in together on a conversation about what, would what you was call going Thomas on. Cramner? Would you nine one one Thomas Cramner or something? <laughs> Well, I grant you I'm an Anglican, but I don't know whether I'd try to drag Cramner into this or not, although he could have some interesting notes to compare with John the Baptist, or with Jesus, for that matter. <laughs> I mean, there's a great joke. Um, I, 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 I don't tell jokes for real, but there's this um, joke where there are these three Christians who are all going to hell, and they don't know why. And so St. Peter's there, and um, the Baptist says, you know, he interrogates me. Says, "Okay, I get, I get. I had a drinking problem, and it really, um, you know, frustrated my relationships and my church and this, this, and you know, Saint Peter sends him to hell. And the Methodist says, "Well, I was, I was a good person, but I was a serial adulterer. Like, 
and I, I really that really damaged a lot of people. Like, and and he says, okay, Peter says, okay, now you know you're going to hell. And they come to the Episcopalian, and he says, well, I, I don't know, I, I do think I inappropriately used the salad fork. <laughs> Yeah, that one. I was afraid you were going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. So, I mean, this is you know part of your own tradition's gift yeah. to the ecumenical tradition can be yeah. just eat with the right fork. I mean, right? I mean, isn't there like it's not hard? You learn table manners. You put your napkin on your lap. These things are kind of important. Well. Yeah. That's an encouraging way to cast it. I mean, that, that whole joke either suggests that we've got huge class problems, which we do <laughs> historically, or we could claim that we're into helping people with baby steps. But. <laughs> but don't you think some of what Mark is doing here is saying to these fearful disciples, who are, who are the screw-ups? I mean, they're the bad mm. news bears, right? I mean, they're like... Right. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to make a movie about the early Christian disciples, it would be stripes, you know, where Bill right. Murray says uh, in his introduction, I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something unusual, right? Like, I mean, this with, with, with Harold Ramis and John Candy. And I think Mark is saying, look, John had the greatest disciple. These guys were the guys. And I'm saying it's mostly men. I mean, there were women there, but I mean, the people that were probably carrying the body and stuff were men. I think Mark is kind of saying, man, look at what John's disciples did. And the disciples of Jesus are afraid. <laughs> well, yeah, they are. Yeah. They, and, they and, are. And, and, and the, like Mar Mark is Jesus coming. In circle, it's the women who come through too. Yeah. And, and, and John, I, I feel like the, the, the author of Mark is saying, look at this guy got beheaded. He didn't rise from the dead. And they stuck around. I mean, these were good disciples. Yeah, yeah. And why can't you guys rally? And it's it's a kind of it's the bad news bearers, right? Right. <laughs> like, and discipleship is a huge theme in Mark's gospel. So that's definitely another place that you can go with this passage. I think the thing to, I think the thing to do, whether whether you go that direction or you go in some of the directions that I suggested, is you you don't get you don't get lost in just reporting in on the history of it, right? Because that just uh, doesn't go anywhere uh, that people who are in the pew can take home with them and and think about it, you know, and 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 make it a touchstone for their own lives in one way or another. Yeah. So there we go. So Fred, I feel like if we were in the discipleship queue, you would be probably higher than me. You would be not number one. You'd be number three. I think I'd be 13. <laughs> 13. I, I think, I, I, I think once Judas got out, like, you know, they like, all right. I, I, I like, I think if I was an ex, I could have be, um, beat out Matthias or whatever. Like, I think I would have been a great, you know, I'd have been a great uh, propagator of the faith, you know. Maybe they put me, send me out to India or Borneo or something, and you know, I'm figuring things out there. Well, I try not to think too much about those examples because I can think of some people who have paid incredible prices for their faith, and so no, making those making those comparisons are kind of a I'm dangerous not doing thing. That. I mean, I'm not <laughs> doing that. I went a little British Empire kind of faith. I went a little bungalow. <laughs> 
I want guards. I mean, I'll go out and preach, but I don't want martyrdom. I, I like I, I like a little uh, empire with my faith. <laughs> Fred, this was fantastic, and thank you for uh, oh, you're welcome, helping Scott. resurrect Synaxis. And so we'll be here for you regularly for the next few weeks. We're uh, look forward to it. Fred is, um, and again, um, if people want to call you and consult, what is it like two hundred bucks an hour or no? What, no, what's your, what, no, for sermon it's advice, a, drop drop me a note, drop me an email. Uh, I'll be happy to respond. Thanks, free Fred. of charge. <laughs> this was great. It was good. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. Thanks to you for listening to Synaxis this week. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.